0: It's Dr. Seuss Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices, author, genius, father. <laughs> 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 and I'm here as usual with the best co host in the business, the mysterious one, midwife extraordinaire, Bliss Young. How are you doing, Bliss?
1: I'm great. Thanks. How are you? Are? You are. I am. You are great. I feel good today. I,
0: I know. I'm a genius. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Why am I a genius? Why? I don't know.
1: I don't know. Because you are.
0: And we want to welcome back to the podcast another genius.
1: One of our favorite midwives. Our favorite genius. Yes.
0: Beth Cannon is back with us again. Hello. For podcast number 161.
2: Yay. So it's happy a lot of to be podcasts, here. podcasts, by the way. That is a lot of podcasts. That's good. Yeah. I was thinking about, because the last time I was here was a long time ago, years, and I think it was... Maybe below fifty. Wow. Yeah. Whatever number it was.
1: Welcome yeah. back. Thanks. Sorry, yep. it's been so long. Well, we it's it. it's, it's you know, busy it's, it's kind of like, nice. It's it busy, really does feel crazy. like we're
0: just sitting around chatting.
1: Well, we are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes.
0: <laughs> no, it does. You know, this is we don't really rehearse anything for the podcast. <laughs> I You know, I, I, think I come in. Tell. I come in with ideas. <laughs> I even I even uh, uh, texted Bliss uh, yesterday about does she have any ideas, and she says, "Don't expect me to have any ideas." She says. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm just keeping that's, us on that's schedule. That's why she's the best in the business.
0: She I'm has no ideas.
1: Keeping us on schedule. I just I just support you. All right. And all your genius.
0: At Birthing Instincts on Instagram. At Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. At Birthing Rhythm on, at, on Instagram. <laughs> Birthinginstincts.com, birthingbliss.com, birthingrhythm.com.
1: That's right. Birthing, birthing, birthing. Everybody knows that's how to right. find us.
0: If you're listening to the podcast, you already knew how to find us on iTunes, so you don't have to worry about it.
1: <laughs> so Beth, I wanted to hear again what you said about about you listen to us while you're working out. I mm-hmm. do. I listen to you guys when I'm working out. I do Buns
2: of Steel from 1992. <laughs> I'm like her biggest fan, but I do it because it's 30 minutes and I can do it in my house. Buns and are and in, it apparently works enough for my body that's aging but whatever it's fine but it's it's great because i listen to you and then i will chime in like i'm in the room like we are now but <laughs> but it's just me working out but we can't hear her yeah and so i love being with you right now because i can chime in in I'm, real time i'm i'm, I'm, I'm still like, i'm
0: still drooling over buns of steel
2: oh <laughs> it's hilarious i don't listen to her i listen to you guys <laughs>
0: That's pretty funny. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. So I got, I got some business I got to take care of here. Um, so, some, a little bit of annoying business, but I got you two guys to keep me calm. Okay. I got, right. a, I got a fundraising letter um, <laughs> uh, from, uh, I don't know how I got on the mailing list. Keep California healthy. Keep Dr. Richard Pan. Mm, mm, mm. I do not think I'll be sending money to this.
1: Tell, tell, tell people who are not from California who, Dr. Pan, who Richard Pan Dr. is. Dr. Pan
0: is a state senator. He's also a physician. Who is the ze- zealot uh, fanatic who believes that uh, bodily autonomy does not belong to the individuals because safety for from from these terrible diseases like measles uh, takes precedent and that everyone has you need to be mandatorily vaccinated and initially it started with students uh, then they got rid of religious exemptions and. Uh, Every sort of exemption, and within the next year or two, they will be bringing it to all adults in California, at least all legal adults in California. Um, you won't. You probably will not be able to renew your driver's license, or register to vote, or get a passport, or whatever else. And, and somebody even mentioned there might be a federal push to do this. And I.
1: Yeah, it's happening.
0: Uh, it's a really scary thing to me because it's out. It's not the purveyance of the federal government. That's to tell Bella, the states, by the way. To t- tell the states what to do. Even Bella's upset. Right. <laughs> right. She's protesting in the other room. Yeah, so in his letter, he uses he uses the term for anybody that doesn't agree with him as anti-vaxxers, and he uses it, like, several times. The dangerous anti-vaxxer agenda is highlighted. Help me fight the anti-vaxxer's latest recall attempt. Uh, I was probably part of the recall attempt. <laughs> so. I
1: think it's interesting when people get threatened that they start to, you know, like... Become more intense about. So obviously, they feel a little threatened by the "quote unquote" anti-vaxxers.
0: And and here and he's very sincere. He says, "Anti-vaxxers demean physicians as shills and bought." But the truth is, we became physicians to care for our patients.
1: Well, that's true.
0: Well, yes, but caring <laughs> for your patients doesn't mean mandating Correct. what your patients yeah. do. Totally. So Some he's ego. confused. He's confused. Caring with with one-size-fits-all mandating, and I don't know that that's the case. I don't know that it's, you know, I mean, again, we're talking about non-lethal disorders here that everyone of my generation, we had them all. Right. And we're still here.
1: Right. And um, you're immune. And my immune, immune system
0: is stronger for it. Right. So anyway, Richard, uh, I will not be sending you any money. Okay. <laughs> Got that out of the way. That's that. Just it. in case you were waiting. All right, waving. so then I have my dumb question of, this is, Dr. Stu's dumb question of the day. Um, I got, I get, I get these things in the mail. Um, you know, you guys probably do too. Do you have, if you have any investments or things like that, you get these little folders every day, or you get little things from um, that are proxy votes that you have to fill out, mm-hmm. and they and they have these little investment uh,
2: the prospectus pay, things. Well, they're pay,
0: they're pay, they're like little booklets and stuff like mm-hmm. that that absolutely no one can understand. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's written in such a way that no one would ever read it. All right. The same thing that happens like with you. You know, I got a, one of the uh, phone companies that we used is going is filing for bankruptcy. So there's a bankruptcy claim where a bunch of lawyers are trying to sue them, and then w- they want to get us on board as a claimant because we used this phone company, and blah blah blah. And you and you get this thing in the mail, and it's like 10 pages long, a very small print, about a class action lawsuit which no one can possibly understand. Where if I signed on to it. I might get 12 cents at the end while the, <laughs> the while the lawyers get 2 billion. So, uh, but but they they who decided to make these things these booklets so of legally so unreadable? And what there's a law obviously they have to send them out. Mm-hmm. I get them all the time. Every time, you know, your insurance company says we're we're just letting you know we're changing your address or this or that. And and, it, and it, it's such a waste of paper. We so I mean, talk about paper. plastic straws being a waste, okay? Yeah. The, the stuff that you get in your mail, I mean, there's very little now that isn't done online right. that's important. So other than getting a magazine or I get things from an NTSB, which is the National Transportation Safety Board, uh, about airplane clashes because I used to be a pilot. I like reading uh, about those sorts of things. You know. Or if you, get, if you have a hobby or something like that, most of my mail goes like… Recycle. Yeah, recycle. well, you know, recycle, recycle sometimes, but, yeah. but it, it's it's such a waste. But these things are ridiculous to me, and I just don't understand. They, it only gets worse, by the way. No one's ever going to pass a law saying you don't have to send more legalese. Right. Okay. So, even consent forms, when you go to the hospital.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, you're under duress. You're contracting. <laughs> you're supposed to read them. <laughs> you're supposed to sign them. And as we all know, uh, Hermine, Cli- H- Hermine Hayes Klein and other people tell us that. Signing a consent form does not mean you're consenting to anything. It means you're agreeing to what, you, what sort of what you've been told by them, but it doesn't mean that you can't change your mind.
1: Right. Good. I'm glad that and she's... And people
0: need to know that. Yeah. Right. And a hospital consent form, when you walk in and sign that general consent form, does not give them the right to do anything to you without further consent. For instance, you know, the, the, one of the things that, that I think that um, Kristen talked about at the New Jersey conference was about a woman who got a membrane sweep without permission. Mm-hmm. And she filed a complaint with the hospital, and the hospital ruled, they, they belittled her, and then they ruled that, uh, that, there was, that they, they took it to a doctor panel. A doctor said, well, a membrane sweep is part of a cervical exam. And she consented to have a cervical exam. Therefore, it isn't. Of course not. It's it's, it's completely actually different. it's actually a procedure.
1: <laughs> right. All right. Yeah, it isn't. Right.
0: But the doctors, you know, again, you're talking. You, it's like asking ACOG to support something that they would support, or they, it, but doing it in the home. We know they're not going to ever support something in the home.
1: I'm not going to say never, because I'm an optimist. <laughs> <laughs> Best laughing at me in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. well, no, it's I good. It's good. Some people have to be optimists. Good. Okay. Yeah. yeah, never say never. never they just have. They they have to. That's right. I do have to. All
0: right. Well, it's good because you know what? You know what? The uh, uh, you know what? You know? I think it's really good that you're an optimist because happiness is measured by expectations.
1: Did mm. you know that? Mm. It's a good one, Stu. I like it.
0: Happiness is measured by expectations. I heard that on the. L.A. King's podcast <laughs> <laughs> because, because we're having such a bad year. Oh. So, so one of the guys on the podcast said, well, if you don't have high expectations, you can remain happy. But if you have high expectations and they're not met, that you will be unhappy. So it's always better to go through life with low expectations. <laughs>
1: That's <laughs> what my last boyfriend told me. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You should lower your expectations, and you'd be really happy. I was like, hmm.
0: Well, there is something to be said about that, by the way.
1: I, I get it, but yeah. it's it's a quandary because you can like settle too.
0: Yeah, quandary is yeah. one of my favorite words, by the way. Well, you're welcome. Then it is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, uh, review of the day. Review of the day. Oh, you have a review. I do. Oh, it's oh. it's titled One Forty Nine. And it says, love this. I wonder if it's because. Podcast 149. Yeah. yeah.
0: But uh, which which podcast was 149? <laughs> yeah, what
1: title was it? No, it just says 149. Oh. I'll have to look okay. it up. Um, Kelsey Alyssa is her her online name, I guess. Um and maybe her real name, uh, loving this podcast. She said, do you have an opinion? And I thought this would be great to talk about while you're here too, Bliss. I mean, I'm Bliss. You're Beth. You're Bliss. <laughs> I'm Beth. <laughs> um, B, uh, do you have an opinion on removing midwifery care from the medical paradigm and into private membership association? What do we think? private membership
2: association well that's, yeah
0: that's the whole uh, Nebraska birthkeeper mm-hmm. podcast that mm-hmm. we did was that 149 so maybe that I, I thought that was a lot longer that ago than that what does
2: that mean exactly is that like
0: wait 149 was he's looking at that oh community-based birthing that's with uh Augustine
2: oh okay Colebrook yeah. that's yeah. the podcast mm-hmm. with
0: Augustine Colebrook great Thank God for my app. <laughs> 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 I could look it up. Um,
1: Wait, no one would have expected you to remember that. I
0: don't know that again, the private membership association thing is is it's so not, so gray. I, I just don't know that
1: explain it to I'm me. I'm not really
2: understanding exactly like
0: it's like belonging to a club.
2: Okay. All right. Don't we? If
0: people if people voluntarily belong to a club, all right, right. then the government doesn't have any jurisdiction over what Th- that club. So
2: people that would want midwifery would join a, state, a club in a state in a state that
0: doesn't ha- allow midwifery in
2: order to participate in midwifery. Correct. Right. So hmm. so they
1: would have agreed to that's
0: whatever, a very simplistic view of it. It's yeah. much more complicated than that. Probably many many pages of legalese. Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so a little booklet. Worth. So they basically would agree to whatever parameters we set for ourselves, and they're they're saying yes. We want to be part of whatever it is that you are creating Um, rather than the government or legalities telling us what we can and can't do when, like, you know, you probably have a client who would want you to deliver a breach or is totally comfortable with 42 weeks. And we, us and our clients, are limited in being able to do what we want to do because of what the law has said. Right. Yeah. So... There you go. I mean,
0: if, if 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 there was a group of attorneys or something that came out and said that this is something that is legal, all right, then yes, I think it would be a great idea because I think that the government just should stay out of the bedroom and it should stay out of <laughs> your personal health care and, and certainly should stay out of your body, Doctor Pan. Yes, stay out of my if vagina. List- if you're listening, Doctor Pan, right. I don't
1: so, think Dr. Pan is listening.
0: Yeah, somebody send, a, somebody send Dr. – you know what? Maybe I'll just – instead of – I'll put it in that envelope. I'll put uh, one of Dr. Stu's podcast's podcast, yeah. uh, postcard.
1: Yeah, tell him, we talked about you on the podcast. Yeah. Please listen. Yes. <laughs> um, so I've been listening a little bit to the Indie Birth podcast. Okay. And um, I don't know enough about it yet. I want to do a little bit more research. But I had a student come and talk to me from from their midwifery school. And um, they, I think that they, what they're saying is, you can practice midwifery in any way that you want to, even if it's not necessarily legal. So I think that we should bring them on to talk a little bit more about what their school is saying. And Are these the Arizona people? Mm-hmm. I think it's isn't it, yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Merrin yeah. Marin Greens. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you hi, Maron. Money. Hi, I'm intrigued about that. I don't know that it's what I personally want to do, but I do want to understand all the options that are available to people who want to pursue midwifery. The pro- I don't think the that The problem legal- is, of
0: course, is you're going to end up, somebody's going to end up having to challenge this because someone's going to get arrested or someone's going to get uh, sanctioned and they're going to have to challenge it. Yeah. And they're going to have to have the funds and the wherewithal to challenge this, possibly, theoretically, all the way to the Supreme Court. Right. And who has that? Unless you can find a, you know, a, a law firm or or a five hundred one c three support group like the uh, Alliance for Defending Freedom or something right. like that, which which will which will support you in your quest to try to do something like that. But if you know, if the more we talk about it on a podcast like this or on their podcast, or you know, eventually it might click, and it might somebody might be talking about it over dinner. Oh, I heard this and that, and and some. Wealthy philanthropists will say, you know what? I think that's a great idea. You know, I'm still waiting for Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk to have children or grandchildren and have them have the typical hospital experience and say, there's got to be a better way to do this. Yeah. And then call up Bliss and Dr. Stu and Beth and say,
1: (laughs) all (laughs) right. We want you. We want
0: you guys. Three million bucks a year and uh, private jet. And and we're going to have you design a new paradigm.
1: See, you're
2: optimistic too. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> Which part? The,
0: the 3 million and the the private jet or the
2: The designing a new paradigm. You no, know, that that would be great and too. The 3 million. And the 3 million. Oh, <laughs> I mean
1: all of the above. So, what I, do you I think? would hold uh,
0: by the way, I would hold out for 4.
1: Okay. <laughs> you, you can you can do the negotiations okay. for us. What do you think, Beth?
2: I mean, I I think that's an interesting concept. I I guess I'm just sorting through my patriarchal programming because I'm in the state now where I have chosen to be a licensed midwife and hold the license. Yeah. So, but it's frustrating. I did have a wise midwife once tell me to be mindful of, of your, you know, how many licenses you want to have, you know, like depending on where you want to practice, you know, just, Maybe you don't want to hold licenses in all the states. You know, maybe you just, sounds like what you're talking about, being an independent midwife by your own standards of what midwifery is and you break less
1: laws if you're not licensed in a way. Laws. Well, being licensed is, is, yeah. a, is a ball and chain. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't, I mean, we come from the same lineage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We do. Yeah, mm-hmm. we do. when, you know, it, from midwifery, we, we learn from a um, apprentice model. So Beth and I, you know, there, there was a midwife who taught many midwives in L.A. Mm-hmm. And so we come from that same lineage. And so I've always kind of been told, and I think you probably have too, like, you you don't want to break the law because you want to continue to be able to support other women. Correct. And so that's kind of where my mindset has been, even though, trust me, when I was in midwifery school, they my, my cohort joked around and said I was going to be the first one to go to jail because I just can't – it's not that I want to break the laws. It's just that I just am such an advocate for women to have choice. Right. Bottom line, yeah, no matter Yeah, conformity
0: why. is not yeah. your thing.
1: I I, <laughs> never I has agree. Been. I agree well, with that. Yeah, you know, it is. And I'm and I'm angry about these laws. Oh, it's yeah. very frustrating for me to have our hands tied. It's un- unnerving. Yeah,
0: there isn't a day that goes <laughs> by that I don't get a letter uh, through social media, somebody in another state or even this state up north or something who who can't can't access the things that they deserve because of the restrictions that are put upon People in their, you know, the, the practitioners in their community or whatever else. I mean, th- there are people like who know how to do these things, or there are people who, even if they didn't, th- this is what the woman wants. You should, you should, you, you know, you should ex- acknowledge what they want, and you should support what they want. Mm-hmm. And and again, if we had one of the things we we determined at the New Jersey symposium was that the best thing that avoids liability is communication.
1: Yeah. That's why, And the problem with
0: the current system is that it doesn't allow the time for communication. So the thing, the key that I said, uh, that I've made, and somebody has quoted me a couple of times on it, it's not the people that's the problem, it's the model that's the problem. Mm -hmm. People get get funneled by the model because these are generally good, caring people who end up telling people the stupidest things you can possibly tell them because they're stuck in a system that doesn't give them any, any choice, and so they have to, like, like, either they're going to be frustrated every day, like you and I often are, or, they're even though you're optimistic, but, but they're going to be frustrated every day, or they're going to just conform and, and go home for dinner and not offer these things that they, because, because the model is so broken, all right? And the problem is that the people that run the model refuse to admit it, They refuse to admit that their 32% C-section rate, and their low patient satisfaction rate, and the rising incidence of childhood asthma and immunity and immune problems and stuff like that, is related to their is 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 self-caused by their system. And you can't solve anything until you at least first admit that you've got a problem. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And they are deflecting the problem. The problem. Again, I always say this, the problem with American medical, American obstetrical problems in this country is not the 1% of women having babies at home. And yet the focus, as we'll get to in a second from certain people in academia, is that we'll focus on the, uh, look over there, because we don't want you to look over here.
1: Control. Right. Control, control, control. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, you know, really, then it goes back somehow, it always goes back to money.
0: Yes. Right? Yeah. Right. And the, and the system is such that, again, if you, you want to avoid liability, you want to avoid lawsuits, talk to your patients. How often does a midwife really? get sued?
1: Very, very, very They're
0: Very few. rarely. Now, yeah. oh, you only take care of low-risk stuff and blah, 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 blah. Well, if it's so low-risk, then why are you against it? Right. So, I mean, you can't have it both ways.
1: Yeah. I was thinking about while you were, while you were talking about that was the quote. Going back to the quote, like you have these people that are just, what was the word that you use? Expectations. Like oh, that they, quote. they've lowered their expectations, right? So that they can be satisfied in their life, right? Yep. So they can go home and have dinner. And So they've lowered their expectations. And even though you said that's probably a good thing, in some ways you and I haven't done that because we keep wanting it to be the way that we believe that is the right way and so we end up getting frustrated.
0: Right, it makes it makes us feel good about our work but it makes us uh, frustrated and and the more frustrated you are, it's hard to be really happy when you when you're bombarded with frustration. It just I'm is. I'm still happy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Can I tell you about Well, my you
0: compartmentalize and you have to.
1: Well, you have to you have to optimize. You have to like figure out how to make the best of what it, of the situation that you have, right? Right. Sure, yeah, yeah, the other
0: the alternative is unthinkable, actually, yeah, just yeah, just living in misery all the time, right yeah
1: so I, I i'm i'm I wish it was different. I wish that my mamas who got to forty one in five days didn't feel the pressure mm-hmm. for no reason that that drives me absolutely nuts to have to interfere with a totally normal pregnancy, um but I love the work that I do and and I'm gonna continue to to love it and continue to do it as long as I love it because. That just—I just don't understand why you would live a life doing things that make you unhappy. I'm getting—I'm yeah. going to yeah. get off my soapbox you now. Okay. Well,
0: <laughs> I, I was going to go in a different direction, but you just—you just—that sort of just opened the door for for talking a little bit about um, the, my two favorite uh, academicians from Cornell. You know, you know the, the work out of Cornell. <laughs> right. Yeah, Amos and uh, Andy. No, Amos and uh, Frank. Amos Greenbaum, Frank Chervenak. Um, mm-hmm. we've, we we uh, we did a podcast on them not recent, not too long ago because I wrote this fairly.
1: Yeah, you decent, challenged them to come yeah, on.
0: well, and I well, I also just challenge. <laughs> I challenged their premise, mm-hmm. as I always do, because their premises are so easily challenged. Mm. Um, somebody sent me yesterday. Um, I haven't seen by the time this podcast comes out, it will be out in the journal. But somebody sent me an abstract of a. Of, a, of an article that they wrote uh, that's coming out in in the November Gray Journal, which, of course, if people remember me talking about that, <laughs> Dr. Chervenak is on the board of the Gray Journal, and almost every article they ever published comes out of the Gray Journal, <laughs> which to me seems like a conflict of interest if you're going to have... I know how hard it is to get stuff published, and in the Gray Journal and the Green Journal, which are the two big journals uh, in America, if... Um, it's very hard to get through their peer review process, but it seems like these guys, you know, every few months will come out with with recycling new data.
1: Yeah, they're rubbing elbows with somebody. Right. Mm-hmm. See, they
0: these two have failed to realize what the problem is, and they continue to make a living, rehashing and recycling old information to think that home birth is the problem, and that's their that's their enemy, and that they're going to and they've made a living off of it. Mm-hmm. Talk about follow the money. I mean these people these two guys make a living off of, of, of you know publishing and I, what else whatever else they do I'm sure that they, at one point in their careers they probably did really good work right but now they're teaching they're teaching in a system that is failing and they don't and they and they and they're going down with the ship they're fiddling while uh, you know they're, they're moving the deck chairs on the Titanic is mm-hmm. what they're doing mm-hmm. and uh, so their latest their latest piece in the in the gray journal is list, is listed as a research letter if you can see, I've got, I'm holding up in front of you, but <laughs> I took my glasses. Research, off. It says "research letter," but what it really is is an opinion piece masquerading as research, mm. which is pretty much a All lot of, of their, their stuff, things. right? Okay, so they go in, and the, the title of the thing it says it's a letter, not a paper or anything. It says most intended home births in the U.S. are not low risk, 2016 to 2018. So most means that at least 51, percent right? Most. Yes. Okay. So abstract so again it's a letter but it has an abstract which is sort of weird because it's a letter it's a letter and, and who,
2: who wrote the le- they're writing oh, the letter uh, or some, like, who's the letter well from?
0: Lawrence McCullough who I don't know as well okay and then Amos Grunbaum and Frank Chervenak okay same guys all right all right and I don't have the paper yet so okay. I, I don't know how many times they reference themselves <laughs> as they tend to do every time <laughs> well they did they did, do. I, they did no, last time five, mm-hmm. five references on the badness of home birth and four of them were their own papers And the other one was the wax paper, which, of course, has been soundly refuted, although they wouldn't admit that because they can't admit that because then it undermines everything that they are working for. Uh, The objective is pregnant patients with high risk factors are at increased risk for morbidity and mortality. It has been claimed that intended home births in the U.S. are largely restricted to low-risk patients. It has been claimed that. Okay. Just even the language. sure. (laughs) The objective of this study, study, by the way, even though it's a research letter, was to assess whether this was indeed the case. Study design. We use the United States Department of Health and Human Services, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, National Center for Health Statistics, Division of Vital Statistics. So once again, birth certificate records, basically, is what they're using.
1: And that's what the wax paper was refuted on? Was that
0: right? Well, yeah, but that doesn't tell you anything necessarily about planned or unplanned, and Mm -hmm. and many states don't have that anymore. They don't even have whether there was an attendant, who was in attendance, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of um, confusion. Now, they're trying to clear that up, and in in their defense, they're saying that this was from 2016 to 2018, and I don't really know how well they've cleaned it up since earlier in the decade. Mm -hmm. Uh, On the CDC Wonder Online database, all right, so again, they're just looking at data from that people put in, all right. But it doesn't matter. No matter, even if this was a, the best data in the world, wait till you wait till you hear what they consider to be high risk. Okay. Uh, let's see. To calculate the risks to known, let's see, calculate the risks known to increase maternal and or neonatal morbidity and mortality for intended home births listed in the database under the birthplace. Okay. The results show pregnancy risk factors among intended home births. all right? So I want your opinion on each one of these, okay? They're 4.2% of births with a prior cesarean delivery. High risk, not high risk?
1: 4%, say it one more time. Just, like VBACs? Just, a VBAC. 4% VBACs? Is
0: that a high risk or not high risk? No, not for us, right. not for me. No. 23.4% were births to mothers who were 35 or older.
1: <laughs> Definitely oh not. Gosh. Okay. <laughs> Those grannies.
0: 4.7 were for women 40 years and older.
1: Oh, nope. Ulta Grammy. What yeah. do they call it? <laughs> so this is what they're considering high risk. Right, of course they are.
0: 21.5% were greater than 41 weeks. Mm-hmm. Nope. 3.6% were greater than 42 weeks. 17.4% were nulliparous. Oh, did you know that being noliparous is now high risk? Mm. And being 36 is high risk? Being 40 is like super high risk. Super duper. 7.5% were grand mole tips.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So now women having their sixth baby should never have a baby at home.
1: No, of course because not. Because
0: they might bleed. And you obviously are not prepared for that. <laughs> you bad midwives, you. And 12%, 12.6% were obese. This is what that's, they define. That's what this their is the, the whole paper is based high on. High risk
1: is that, thats their categories mm-hmm. I mean, you knew that, though, right? You knew that that was going to be what they were talking about. I mean, I thought
2: <laughs> that they were maybe going to say breach or twins or mm-hmm. you know things yeah. that actually in other places m- some people might consider a higher risk. Yeah, it's all because they don't have skills or something. Even defining
0: V back as high risk is is a bunch of crap. Okay. We're talking about something that that is quite rare and even rare they, what they don't even understand is that the risk of rupturing your uterus is far less at home it could be if, if it does happen it could be a, it, it could be more catastrophic although most hospitals are not quite capable of getting somebody on the operating room table in 12 minutes and either way but I'm not going to say that it's safer to be at home if you have a ruptured uterus but the likelihood of your uterus rupturing at home is less mm-hmm. right. Simply because you're not you're having epiduralized natural, and pitting them natural to, labor. Yeah, correct. All right. So the conclusion, because we're going to talk about these things. I mean, telling oh, they don't even define obese. Maybe they do when the paper comes out. They'll okay. define what the BMI is. All right. I don't know. Yeah, but, but
1: I don't agree. My my mamas that are that are larger mamas. I don't have. They don't have any health concerns.
0: Wouldn't this be considered Just politically that- incorrect? Aren't they body shaming? <laughs> I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to sic the uh, the PC police upon these people.
1: You should. You, you
0: should. Know, no, I can't because I'm probably gonna be. But all I want to say <laughs> myself. <so. laughs>
1: all I want to say is that just because a woman has a higher BMI does not make her high risk solely because of that. Yeah, if but she's what if, got other conditions. But what if she's 35 years
0: conditions? old, 41 weeks, with a high BMI? <laughs> now I, she's got three <laughs> risk factors. She's, she's super got, high risk. Yeah, I don't care sorry to be mocking them but i'm not sorry
1: <laughs> but you should be mocking them right,
0: conclusion adverse outcomes are known to occur more commonly with certain risk factors and they and, and they cite references one two three and four unfortunately i don't have the article so i i'm be interesting to see what references one two three and four are, so you'll
2: are give us an they're probably themselves yeah
0: well i, I again they probably right. they may be but i, I but The next podcast, when it comes out, I'll be going over the paper in depth. I'll probably even write a rebuttal on my blog page. I can't
2: wait to see what it says.
0: You like my rebuttals? Mm -hmm. Okay. Our study shows that well over 60% of all intended home births in the U.S. are not low risk.
2: Because of those risk factors?
0: They don't mention the, the, the things that you mentioned, they don't mention breacher twins or anything like that, they don't even mention that. They're just looking at people who, who are prime Ips or over 35 or had a previous C-section or uh, were grand multips or were fat. That's it. Not PC. No, not PC at all. Uh, um, in the US, are not low risk and have at least a single or several combined obstetric risk factors. And the last sentence of this abstract that was sent to me is the most galling of all.
1: Okay. We're running. You ready? Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: You sure? I don't know. Listeners, you ready for this? <laughs> the authors report no conflict of interest. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Sorry, I, I can't help but laugh. <laughs> I don't, I'm just trying. You to... No, that's a standard thing. By the way, that's a standard thing that you have but to put in your paper. But that's it's it's like they have an out. absolute conflict of interest because yeah. they hate home birth. Yeah, I'm they just- should at least. Go ahead.
2: I'm just trying to think. Like, when we do our statistics, our, they don't ask us about BMI of our clients no. or no. If they're, their age. They're...
1: Like, they don't ask us. No, they don't. But that they might be different in different states. And then on, on if the birth certificate, they ask for their say, weight. Like, they, do,
0: your... they, they do on the worksheets, they ask for the weight and the total weight gain on those oh. worksheets. But. They, but some counties, like L.A. County, we yeah, don't we do don't the worksheets. we don't have that. Right. I mean, I
2: just, I never put the weight of the mother.
1: No, it's not or even a thing that we even the. It is, on the, it
0: is a, one of the questions on that yeah. th- little three-page worksheets that we have to fill out for some counties. So, nonetheless, so What? So I'm surprised I mean, they didn't say that uh, some are breathing and some are single mothers and, and uh, <laughs> right. you know, I mean. I, I,
2: Her social class. I just, you know, I know like that I'm we're mocking
0: them and I know that they think that this is probably really serious stuff. Again, but we're talking about 1% to 1.5% of the women in the country. Right, and meanwhile. And these guys have made a living off of that. Meanwhile, but in their own institution, all the, all at the Cornell stuff. or, or the, some of them, I don't think they're both at Cornell anymore. But at the hospitals they're at, they probably have 30%, 35% C-section rates at their institution. Not not a peep. I, I don't see them writing a peep about that. They make a living off of of going after midwives and home birth advocates. Right. That's what they do.
1: Stay in your own lane. Figure out what's the problem with your care first. Well, I just
2: find that it just bothers me because we do births with for such a 1%. And there's so many... Other problems in the American obstetric system, and, and just in the system, and how it goes, and why our statistics are not awesome in in the country, right. and it's not not because of us. No, <laughs> no. Nope. The countries that have better statistics have midwifery care. They they integrate yes. the they, midwives even... into their systems to help keep people healthier. Well,
0: right. And I, I guess, you know, they're, they're not saying that... They, uh, one thing they don't say is that midwives are bad. They just say that home birth midwives are bad and home birth is bad and that sort of thing. And there's a, ju- there was just a paper that came out too in the British Medical Journal that came out that said uh, home birth... I mean, this is a duh. This is one of those, you know, Homer Simpson moments. Uh, home birth, safe option for low-risk women, major study authors say. All right. And they basically... It's an Australian study. They analyzed over 1.25 million deliveries across their country, and uh, they compared no intervention deliveries versus midwife-run birthing centers versus labor wards, and they found that that the home birth options were equally safe or safer than the hospital birth options. Okay, so for low-risk women... So again, it would depend on how you define low-risk women. I mean, obviously, those guys don't define low-risk women <laughs> as what you and I would define right. low-risk women. But nonetheless, at least again, coming out of England and, and the and the, uh, the British Commonwealth countries and stuff like that, you do find that the midwifery model is much more supported, much more reasonable. Oh, definitely,
1: mission move.
0: Yeah, and the other thing too, the you know, here's the thing that was in the um, I forgot what the journal this one was in. Uh, Oh, the. I think it was a also British thing. It says doctors want to move the six week postpartum checkup to three weeks. Why? Well, because they're actually finally realizing that uh, that women during, yeah, they, you know, they 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 go home on day two and then they don't see them for six weeks, yeah.
2: which is crazy. Yeah, I think. which is
0: again that's the medical model. I don't hear the the uh, Cornell guys railing on the p- problem that we don't see women. For six or five and a half weeks after they give birth, when so many things potentially go wrong with breastfeeding and Hemorrhage.
2: depression
0: and hemorrhaging and mm-hmm. just yeah, overall so sleep sleep going deprivation going and There's so much going on. Uh, emotional changes and relationship stresses and all those things that you guys are experts at taking care of that my field is not. Yeah. So, you know, uh, again, this is the kind of thing where they publish a paper on this something that. The wisdom of midwives is known for eons, yeah, and these probably these guys probably were like they went out for dinner and they patted themselves on the back and they said, "Look, you know it's like little Jack Horner stuck his thumb in the pie and said, "What a good boy am I, I pulled it out and said, "What a good boy am I you know I mean this, i i i again i'm I'm in my mocking mode right now, but the idea that that it's taking research.
2: And then it takes us, fifteen years or so for well, for the research to catch up with a policy being changed. Well, and you know, and you, know what,
0: you know what they admit the limiting factor will be: will insurance pay for a visit oh. at three at three weeks? Wow! So it brings me to the one other article about this guy in um, where is he? Oh, I don't know where this is. Damn it. <laughs> All right. Well, it's a health center someplace.
1: <laughs> someplace.
0: Uh, oh, Indiana. I think it's Indiana. Yeah, Indiana. Okay. And the guy, the the doctor there opened his health clinic, and he, his practice doesn't accept insurance, and he charges a flat fee of thirty five dollars per medical issue. Nice. Right. Mm-hmm. So he sees everything, and he can do this. He's he's not the first person to do this. the first people that made this really big was it was a, I think a, a group in Oklahoma that are, are doing this. They're just getting rid of insurance. They're charging everybody like thirty-five. I think they charge a monthly fee of like fifty bucks or something like that. Yeah, and you come in and you can everything can be done. Your X-rays, your labs, everything is included. And and somehow, if you get enough people, you can do this without milking it for profit like some of the insurance companies have done. And I'm not sure, again, detailed, but these are good ideas because, as I've said, probably pretty much every podcast for the last 161 podcasts is the model is really screwed up. It's the model that needs to change. The medical model of obstetrics has gone too far. Yes. And they need to put brakes on and they need to reverse themselves. And if they just look at the way midwives do things, we could revise things, but there's so much money involved and so much fear of litigation. So many people's jobs are on the line for keeping the system the way it is that, you know, the the change, as Beth said, it'll take 15 years before they... Institute something that's so at obvious. At least, at least. Yeah.
1: I mean, minimum. Yeah. We just got to keep doing good work, keep talking about possibilities outside of the box, you know. And and those things are going to start to fall away. There's a lot of paradigms that are starting to crumble. I have faith. Yeah. That this could crumble.
0: Yep. And if you get if you get people like <clears> Augustine <throat> doing her thing, and uh, uh, you got Kristen and uh, Diane from New Jersey. And you have the Breach people mm-hmm. in Madison, the Breach yeah. people, yeah. <laughs> the Larry Lehmans, the David Hayes, the Ricks of Freezes, Cynthia Calais, um, the Chaviras yeah. of these people doing, you know, getting out there and making waves and making noises. You know, people are hearing about it and people have to come into their doctor and they have to say, when their doctor says, oh, that's stupid. I said, you know what? I don't think you're the right doctor for me. And then they have to look elsewhere. They just have to, have to start demanding things have to start understanding what informed consent means.
1: You have to have higher expectations.
0: And less happiness? Oh, <laughs> I don't know.
1: <laughs> I think you can have both. Even though I liked that quote, I think it's a good thing to be aware well, it's, of. It's, it's, I think you can have You have, have both. to take
0: it with a grain of salt, correct? The quote? Yeah. Okay. It's not about everything.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: So I want to end with one last uh, thing before we get finished. Um, uh, Abby, Abby V, who's a midwife here in the West Side, uh, mm-hmm. You, everybody knows her. Mm-hmm. Uh, She sent me a text message the other day and I wanted to know what I thought about giving progesterone for a woman with a short cervix. Mm -hmm. And I said, I texted her back one sentence. I said, no evidence it helps. Mm -hmm. I just want people to know that, that there is no evidence that it helps. And I got a couple of things here. Um, This is a a Medline search uh, that I got from um, UpToDate. And basically it says, the use of progestins for maintenance, tocolysis in women with a short cervix did not reduce the rate of preterm birth. Mm-hmm. And this is this is for short cervix. And also, um, in the same paper, I found an article, the same up-to-date...
2: Search. Search, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Thank you for <laughs>
0: helping me out with that. <laughs> uh, about giving um, uh, McKenna, which is uh, hydroxyprogesterone acetate, uh, for uh, preterm labor or a history of preterm labor, uh, also does not seem to make any difference. And it says here... Progesterone is administered in the second and third trimester of pregnancies to women with a history of spontaneous preterm birth to reduce the risk of recurrent, but emerging data has not confirmed the efficacy report in earlier trials. In a multi-center international trial of over 1,700 women with a single gestation and a past history of of, of, of spontaneous preterm delivery, uh, the placebo versus McKenna uh, thing found no difference, 11 versus 11.5%. Uh, rate of preterm birth in the second pregnancy. After viewing these findings the U.S. Food and Drug Administration Committee recommended withdrawing approval for McKenna um, Some up-to-date contributors continue to offer hydroxyprogesterone caproate with shared decision making whether use intravaginal natural progesterone in patients with a history of spontaneous preterm birth pending data from additional trials and revised guidelines from major obstetrical organizations I think we're going to find that it really doesn't make any difference um and again, when you mess with Mother Nature, right, by giving progesterone, it may do some good, mm-hmm. but we don't know what it's what what it's not doing. We don't know the. There's always a ripple effect. Right. Always. Yep. A ripple effect. Agreed. And one of these times, I, I I think I've talked about it before. I'll talk about my uh, my th- I think we talked about my late my theory about epidurals and how they interfere with the mother baby unity. Have I mm-hmm. talked about that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that came up in the conference in New Jersey as well. So, guys. It's been fun. Yeah. Anything (laughs) else uh, on your mind? Any births coming up? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you do? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I have a a woman coming down from Alaska who's had five previous cesarean sections.
1: Oh, wow. She's going to come
0: and relocate here. Oh,
1: that's the one who sent me a letter.
0: Yeah. 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 Lovely. I can't wait and um i have uh, another breach that signed up this week primate breach perfect candidate great and uh not very many options To me or barry brock
2: yeah <laughs> did she come to you today because i gave somebody your name no both, both of your names
0: no she came, uh, she's alex she's alex's patient <laughs> okay. and she came um monday i think i saw her. i met her on monday uh, again three weeks ago <laughs> because, <laughs> because by the time this podcast comes out uh, so, once again, people, uh, this has been Dr. Stu's podcast with me and Bliss and Beth. Thank you, Beth, for yeah, for, for gracing our me. studio today. Yay, it was really, it was was really so nice fun. that you were free. <laughs> I know. Because, uh, you know, we don't it see each other out. as much as we used to. Um, it's true. And uh, you can, you can uh, write reviews on our podcast. Uh, if you like Beth, maybe we'll get her back again. <laughs> of so, uh, course they're going to uh, like Beth. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know that. <laughs> uh, so... Um, birthinginstincts.com birthingbliss.com birthingrhythm.com yep at birthinginstincts on instagram at bliss. at birthingrhythm pretty simple
1: <laughs> find a, us there'll be
0: a quiz later
1: <laughs> say hi
0: we know that you always have other options of, to spend your time listening to things even when you're exercising and doing buns of steel <laughs> <laughs> but for those of you that do uh, want to listen to our podcast we are very very grateful that you do and we look forward to hearing uh, and seeing, uh, hearing from you, <laughs> and having you uh, back with us next time. As always, okay. for now, this has been podcast number one sixty-one.
1: Bye bye. Bye.